the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show at faithtalk1360.com and faithtalk1360 over the air. It airs every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. and also is a very available on podcast in a lot of areas, just uh just Google uh, Rescuers Radio Show and you'll find us. So I have a very, very uh, great guest today. I've been looking forward to this for weeks now, talking to uh, John Perkins. John, welcome to the show Rescuers. Thank you. It's good to be with you. <laughs> and uh, John is speaking to us from his home in Mississippi. And uh, John has written, uh, how many books have you written, John? Well, I have been involved and probably about 20 book projects. Wow. <laughs> probably about 12 of those bear my name. And we might have the opportunity to uh, talk about one of those in a, in a, in a way today at, during this program. But, uh, John, I'd like to start off the program. Uh, for those that don't know about you, I'd like to have them learn about you, where you grew up, uh, how you got into... Uh, where you are, and we're going to talk about that uh, in several different points of your life. But right now, the early days of of John Perkins and your family and so forth. What what was that like? And 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 you you were you were young and you weren't really aware of injustices uh, racially at that time. But uh, we'll talk about how you grew into that as well. Yeah. Well, I grew up. I was born in 1930. That makes me 91 this coming June. Hallelujah. And I was born in 1930. That is right at the Great Depression. The Great Depression hit in in 29, and I was born uh, in, 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 in 30. So it was, and of course, uh, it was in the days of the reestablishment in a very severe way of white supremacy after the emancipation, so-called, yes, and a re-oppression from the South by the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, so it was a very difficult uh, time 
from then until 1954. The 54 was the really the big first shot out of the gun in terms of civil liberties for black people. So I went through the civil rights movement and went through now the 50 years since then. Yes. So uh, you moved from Mississippi to California, which was a turned out to be a a, um, a a great move for you in several different aspects. But tell us about that. Well, growing up in Mississippi, you have to know, we were sharecroppers. That was one step down from being enslaved. Mm. Those land owners who controlled the land yes. and controlled the mules, the wagon, the economy. And it was just a step up from from poverty. My mother died on a plantation where we did not have a milk cow, and she died from nutrition deficiency. They call that polygar. That's the way they pronounce people who death from the lack of nutrition uh, in, in 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 life. I grew up in that. Uh, uh, we didn't have a milk cow. After my mother died, I was skin and bone. I was probably taking the milk that she needed to survive herself. I tell that story before the Senate McGovern Nutrition Commission in 1968, before he ran for president based on his work uh, with hunger and poverty yes. in Mississippi. I, I I I told that story then, <laughs> uh, and she died, and I lived, and I think unconscious of knowing it, people discover in their life if they do well, mm. they discover what their living amounts to, looking for meaning and finding that meaning. And as I look back today, I had to find this. I didn't find it until I left Mississippi in that poverty and, and went to California and then went back to Mississippi after that to live in it. Yes. I think that's when I discovered the the, the need, after I was a Christian, that you couldn't do this with program. From a, you could only do it from a Christian perspective. And I came to believe the only way to do that is by love and affirming human dignity, and that is what love is. So let's talk about let's talk about how you came to 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 know faith and to know God and Jesus Christ while you were in uh, you were living in Pasadena, I think, at the time. Monrovia, right outside of Pasadena. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that was a part of your life. That's a critical, critical part in your life uh, as you're doing a discovery of who you are and how you fit in and how you do this or that. Um, and, and, and you've already discovered by this time uh, you're, 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 you're pretty much at the bottom economically and, and, and life is, is not kind uh, to the race. Uh, so tell us about that moment of coming to Christ and the discovery of being loved by God and how it changed your life uh, through that power. There, there are two great incidents 
that affirms that. We was bootleggers and gamblers, and that's the way you did it on the plantation. And so you was, the law was against you. Bootlegging was outside of the law, and that was our main livelihood. Hmm. And they came to rest my grandmother, who took me in and was raising me along with her other grandchildren because uh, we was not from a Christian family. So most of my, my grandmother had been the mother of 19 children. And, 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 and these girls didn't get married. They just had babies, you know, back in those days. Yes. And so the policeman came and found some whiskey, and my grandmother said he planted it instead of finding it. And, mm. and he, she said, I'm going to take you to jail. This was, now, I'm going to learn this later. This is the seed of dignity that was planted in my heart. Mm. In the midst of poverty, my mother said to him, uh, when he was telling him I'm going to take you to jail, he said, don't think about it. That I'm going to leave these children here by themselves and go to jail with you. She said, if I was a man... I would kick your ass. (laughs) And us children was there. That planted something in me. Good for her. No, I did not believe that I was a nigger, an inferior. Now, that was dangerous. But that was the truth. Yeah. And, And now, it was the truth. Now, that's the first truth. You discover that in... Way because we're going to find that what made the Brown versus education, which was the real civil rights movement, the separate, you can never be equal, it makes inferior people. Hmm. And if you believe what the oppressor is saying about you, you're going to stay oppressed. The, the eight dollars movement proved that you've got to get to know each other and be together to affirm each other's dignity. Hmm. It do two things for you. If you believe what the white man is telling you, it's going to make you feel inferior and fearful. But if you believe that you was created in the image of God and having firm dignity, you become a, a revolutionary, whether you're white or black. Whether you're white or black, people don't understand that. God created this humanity to reflect him in the world. Amen. Well, and, and, Our Constitution and, affirms that, and today we have thrown the Constitution out, and we're in trouble. I, I'm not going there. So I, I, I know. I left with that foundation. Yeah. I got to California and started my family after going to Korea and War and back home. And my little boy, about three years old, went to a good news club, a Bible class that was started in the community by white missionaries in black homes. And my son went to one of those. This was the beginning of my conversion. So through your son. He came home, and I asked him what he was learning. And he said, Daddy, let me sing you a song. (laughs) 
He said, what is it? I said, what is it? He said, God loves the little children. Amen. All the children of the world, mm. red, brown, and yellow, black and white, they all are precious in his sight. Mm-hmm. God loves the little children of the world. I never heard that in Mississippi. They couldn't have sung that in Mississippi wow. in life. And I heard that as the truth of God. Mm-hmm. It was about the same time that nine little children was trying to go to a school in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it took nationalized the the National Guard to protect them. Mm-hmm. I heard the truth of God. I heard the truth of God, and we now is in a worse spot than that. It's not good. Our society now is worse than it was. We backed away from the Constitution that all man has created equal. Now we done thrown the Constitution out. Mm-hmm. Breaking into the Capitol is still constitutional. Mm-hmm. Oh, we in sad situation, folks. We in trouble. And that's when I got converted. Now, that led to my conversion. I went to, a, to buy a Bible to... Learn the Bible. Once I hear it there, and a lady it, who had been a missionary in Brazil that had a racism, but it wasn't like the one we had in Mississippi. Mm. And she had lived there, been a missionary for 19 years. I went in and told her I want to be a Bible teacher. I thought that's what the Bible, as I began to read it, it wanted us to learn it. And to teach it to others. Yes. And she told me, if you want to be a Bible teacher, you have to learn about the one story. The Bible is about one story. It's his story. It is God's revelation of himself in the Bible. And the story is about all of those who worked with him to achieve that. These were the prophets and the other ones. Yes. And, And so... I started reading about it. and when I was converted, I came to that place in the 12th chapter of Genesis where God said, get you out from among your kindreds and from your father's house mm. unto a place, and I will bless you. John, I will bless it, it, them to curse you and curse them to curse you. What I've learned and about you. I was disciple for three years, yes. and then I moved back to Mississippi to try to live that out in a place of reality where I knew that that problem was severe. In reading about your story, it it, it matters. It, it came to me in capitalizing everything that you just said in witness that instead of anger, you became a man of grace. You could stare, yeah. you could stare at somebody that just harmed you physically, mentally, emotionally, and have grace with that person. Now, that came after, you know, growing up, my brother was killed mm-hmm. by, by white people after coming back from military. And he was a war hero, right? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Now, I, so, so don't make me 
a hero. Don't make me a hero until I come to know Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I knew the evil, and what I'm telling you, I knew it was wrong. I didn't have much to do with it, and that's why I stayed to California. Out there, it was a different kind of racism. And by these white and black together, me coming to know the Lord based on what they were teaching my son, that began the question mark in my mind Mm -hmm. that the Christianity they were teaching us in Mississippi was in conflict. They had done some tricky stuff to make black inferior and white superior, and they had taken advice from a drunk man, Noah, in some kind of miracle way. They're going to make the black man inferior to be slaves forever. I didn't believe that. Yeah. Now, that's a narrative that that eclipses the creation in the image of God. It eclipses after the flood. They he said the same thing he said to Adam and Eve. He said the same thing to Noah. <laughs> the same thing. Yes. And then how in earth now you come up with color-coding all the nationalities that develop from the Tyler Bell to making black folks inferior? John, we're heading into our our last uh, ten and a half minutes or so, but I'd like to ask you— when you came back to Mississippi, you changed your mind about how children were were being taught in school, and they needed to be more a uh, trade. They need to learn a trade. They needed to have work, and there was an a, there was a, a an involvement in the economy that steered you at that time, right? Yes, and and it came it came from my experience when I was in Mississippi. I tell the story about when I worked the whole day during World War II. That, that would be, say, like 42, when all the boys were going to service. I'd be 42, about 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. I worked the whole day expecting to get about a dollar, a dollar and a half of that day's work. And then it, the man gave me 15 cents. Mm-hmm. Now, that's when I began my understanding of the economy. And you got a dangerous situation now. You got a black that's not afraid of white folks can love them. See, if you're not afraid of somebody, you can love them. <laughs> that's true. That's so true. I and, 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 and I thought I was creating the image of God. Yes. And then when he gave me fifteen cents, I, I want to throw it down. Mm-hmm. But I knew if I threw it on the ground and, uh, and walked out, they would call me a a smart nigger. And they was killing Negroes like that, mm. beating them up. So getting away from Mississippi was the next best thing. Yeah. Escaping from this kind of a system. Yes. I went out there with that kind of understanding. And when I, I, I reject the idea, give people a, 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 a job, give them a fish, and they'll eat for a day. 
teach them how to fish and they eat the line. Mm-hmm. We know how to pick cotton and do that, and I'm going to get 15 cents for a day's work. That's a big lie. Something else got to happen. Mm-hmm. And you were that man Something to make that change. And so they got to somehow share it in that profit. So, so I'm sorry, so Don. Go I ahead. didn't buy. I, I didn't buy a greedy capitalistic system. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great distribution system. It produces and distributes resources, but the person. It's like giving them fish to eat for a day. Teach them how to fish and eat for life. Who owns the pond? Do all the negotiating about who eats what. Mm-hmm. And so a person got to have some form of ownership if it's nothing but a livable wage. Yeah. And so what you end up with is a one-sided capitalism. You've got good in production if you can get it produced for nothing. So that that adds to the systemic racism, doesn't it? It is it. Yeah, that is it. In, in the creation, he gives humanity, individually and collectively, the power to subdue the earth. Hmm. That's what education is. Yes. And, and so... I'm really saying that programs for work is always good programs. Develop a good work ethic, that's always good, but that's not adequate. You've got to affirm life dignity. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, mm-hmm. and you might have it more abundantly. Yes. That means a livable way. God is almost a capitalist, but he's a capitalist without greed. He's a capitalist without absolutely self-interest. It's to love your neighbor, you love yourself. That's some kind of balance in life. You don't hear that. And now they have cut the media up into two or three different sides of ideology. We are in trouble, man. We are in trouble in America. And then they have made everybody who come here from another nation a minority. So I was about That's to... That's genocide. Uh, That's genocide. It is. I was about to ask you, are, uh, are we any closer today to racial justice? And I think I just heard your answer. We are closer to genocide. White folks mm. are going into churches and killing white and black. Black folks, you can't stop black folks from shooting each other's brain out with a pistol. And most of that is domestic. Yep. It's genocide. Hmm. And, and, it, and, and we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Yes. What is the minority? And how do you address that? White folks ain't no minority. White mm-hmm. folks ain't no majority, I mean. White folks ain't no majority in the world. Yes. And that's what's troubling us now. Yes. Let's make America white again. Hey, John, we're in our last uh, five minutes. I'd like to ask you a question. Um, 
I already, I think me and the audience listening to this program is seeing a man, man of grace, not anger. What, what do you feel will be your greatest legacy, John? I think, I think that it's a little bit of the same one that what my mother said to the white guy. I think it's affirming human dignity. And if we can explain that with love, if we can make love the summa of our conversation, and and the Bible affirms that, it affirms it in First Corinthians. You can have any kind of talent and gift if you can put love around it. You've got a power. Absolutely, and what a great way! But if you put if, if you put hate around it, you've got deterioration. Absolutely. What a great way to end this program on those words, John. Um, you are you're a powerful guy at 91, and you you're not even slowing down. God bless you, and uh, thank you for the being with us today. I wish we had more time, but we're out of time, John. Uh, thank you for inviting me, dear brother. Oh, I'm thank so so glad to to have this opportunity. God bless you, and uh, Rescuer Show airs every Thursday at 5:30 p.m. Tune in, live or podcast. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.